My name is Penny Dreadful. A morning wind has cleared the nighttime mist that shrouded the old mansion, and seen from the cliffs, the sea and sky share a summer blue that obscures the far horizon, hinting perhaps that the boundary dividing earth and heaven has been dissolved. But the boundaries that separate life from death will soon be removed altogether, unleashing terror at Collinwood. Hostess, Penny Dreadful, aka Danielle. I don't know who I am anymore. It doesn't really matter, but we're here to celebrate Dark Shadows, and I have two fantastic guests today. I have RJ Jameson and Steve Shutt. RJ Jameson is a longtime enthusiast of the theater, film, and opinionated redheads. She authored the definitive 2006 biography of 1964 Oscar nominee and Dark Shadows lead actress, Grayson Hall. RJ grew up in Russell, Kansas, and attended McPherson College. She has written technical and biographical articles for various venues. In addition, she co-wrote Barnabas and Company with the late Craig Hamrick and was instrumental in helping to complete the book after Craig's passing in 2006. Steve Schutt works as a bibliographic assistant at a large academic library in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Steve has been a classic horror fan since childhood. His favorite of the mid-century horror magazines is Castle of Frankenstein. As a teenager, Steve had articles published in such zines as Gary Sevilla's Gore Creatures and Midnight Marquee. In the 1990s, Steve, a Dark Shadows fan since 1968, was published in World of Dark Shadows and subsequently Stuart Manning's Dark Shadows Journal. Recent publications have included film reviews and the British publication Unsung Horrors and a short memoir for Kurt Latnier's excellent Strange Paradise blog, Mal Jardin. Steve cordially disagrees with Roger Collins' assertion that tea is not a liquid. Um, and <laughs> welcome to the show, both of you. It's a pleasure having <laughs> you both here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and we are here to celebrate one of Dark Shadow's greatest actors on the show, Grayson Ooh. Hall. Yes. And uh, a long overdue Grayson Hall celebration here. Uh, and um, Grayson, of course, first appeared on Dark Shadows as Dr. Julia Hoffman in episode 265 on June 30th, 1967, uh, about two and a half months after Barnabas first showed up on the scene. And uh, the introduction of this iconic character was pivotal to the show as Julia went on to play a major role in the series. Uh, in fact, Grayson ended up portraying a a total of six characters on Dark Shadows, uh, Dr. Julia Hoffman, Countess Natalie Dupre, Magda Rokosi, Hoffman, the housekeeper, Julia Collins, and Constance Collins. And in addition, she, of course, went on to play a version of Dr. Julia Hoffman in House of Dark Shadows and played Carlotta Drake in Night of Dark Shadows. So an iconic 
actress, not only in Dark Shadows, but just in general. Uh, Grayson Hall is certainly a beloved uh, figure in a Dark Shadows fandom and just among film buffs and uh, theater goers. So uh, I'd like to, to talk to both of you about Grayson today. Uh, and I'd like to start with RJ. Uh, how did you get into Dark Shadows and what inspired you to write this sensational <laughs> book about Grayson Hall? Um, well, I wish I could make this a short uh, story, but uh, the fact that she was inter- and Steve has heard bits of this and I'm going to try to tie it all together today. She intermittently popped up in my life since my birth. So my mother was a very big Dark Shadows fan and watched it when I was born in September 1967. And um, my mother watched it while I was in vitro and then afterwards. And uh, she told me many years later when she caught me watching it when I was in high school, uh, when I was about 13, it was playing on the PBS local channel. And I was just intrigued by this weird TV show I stumbled on, you know, in a crazy summer afternoon. And it was, I, I grew up in Kansas and it was really hot and humid. So I, I didn't go outside to enjoy the summer. I stayed indoors with the air conditioning. And uh, my mother came home from work and she's like, um, what are you watching? And I'm like, I don't know, some weird TV show about vampires. And this really cool lady is on here. And uh, she just, you know, she's just really interesting. And my mom said, oh, Dark Shadows. I really enjoyed that when you were a baby, I used to watch it. She was a big Angelique fan. Uh, but she said, but that lady, whenever you fussed as a baby and that woman started speaking, you would stop fussing. So <laughs> apparently it goes back to like yet less than one. Wow. And so it was on a little bit uh, that summer and I watched it and then I had to go back to school and I, I forgot about it. Many years later, you know, 10, 15 years later, I'm living in the Bay Area and um, my boyfriend has gotten one of the new high speed Internet cable and um, he has 500 channels and I'm at his uh, house uh, for a couple of days during the week because I'm sick and I'm trying to entertain myself. And there's 500 channels of cable and I can find nothing except, ooh, on the sci-fi channels, this kooky old show that I watched for a little bit, you know, and uh, I just started watching it. And with he had high speed Internet. So I went online and started doing Internet searches and I came across the Dark Shadows web ring <laughs> and uh, and Darren Gross's page about restoration, about Night of Dark Shadows. And they were searching for someone to be to do Grayson's voice. And I was like, I happen to know an actor. You may remember the name, uh, Danielle uh, Matthew Martin. He did a lot of theater here in San Francisco. He's a male actor. He's not a drag artist. He's an actor, but he does play a lot of female characters. And his natural voice sounded somewhat similar to hers. So I called him and said, hey, 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 do you know who this person is? And I left it on his voicemail. He called me back. Honey, honey, I've been in love with her since I was 12. Find out for me. Find out for me. And so I did. I followed up with Darren and emailed him. We got to talking. My friend Matthew auditioned. And uh, Matthew asked me to stay in touch with Dark Shadows. What's going on? I want to know. And I I said, okay. So I I just, you know, sat in and started recording it every day. And that lady, she just took over my life. (laughs) (laughs) All my fantasy life. And then eventually, you know, um, I moved to New York And um, I know Steve had been interested in writing about her for a while. And I read a couple of pieces he'd done for a couple of websites and some other things. 
Um, and I was in New York and I said, take advantage of me. I'm here. I'll go do research for you at the Billy Rose Theater Collection. I'll look for people to talk to, you know. And um, and so I did a bit of that. And then finally, Steve was like, I'm interested in other things. I don't want to paraphrase Steve, but I, this is my recollection. You can correct the record. <laughs> you know, why, why don't you do it? And I was like, oh, I really wanted to, but I thought that was greedy and I, I didn't want to do it. So I was like, no, 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 Steve, this is your, you want to do this. And so I waited for another year until Steve said, I'm not going to do it. Why don't you do it? And I was like, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Send me everything you got. I'm ready. <laughs> and um, I happened to live by the Billy Rose Theater Collection. I was living behind Lincoln Center. And so Steve sent me the clippings and collection stuff he had. And it just called to me like I always like red haired unmarried ladies and films and books. And it's just, it's just a weird thing I do. <laughs> and, uh, and then and then I love theater. Even when I was in high school, I lived in this small Kansas town and I'd walk the back stacks where no one else went and I'd grab the theater books and I'd read what were the best, the best of plays every year that came out. Mm -hmm. I would read and I would look for certain people. Her name was, was in there that I would look for and, and other actresses. And, and so it just called to all the things that I love, which was research. I studied history in college and, uh, and I like tying together the people, how they knew each other, actors, how they'd work together. And certainly, you know, you guys both know once you start diving into Dark Shadows, you find that they all knew each other through all these little things, yeah. all these little things. And so that's how I got involved and invested and um, obsessed. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> well, it, it was you know, when I read the book, when I first read it, it, it just it's so inspiring. Like it made me want to just run off to New York and do like <laughs> avant garde underground theater. It, <laughs> just, it was just such a right. great, great read. Um, and for for fans who, who don't have it, you should absolutely uh, get your hands on uh, Grayson Hall, a hard act to follow because I have it right here. It's um, so Steve, how about you? Of course, we we've um, we've uh, interacted quite a bit over the years on the Dark Shadows forums back uh, back in the day, and you know, hung out a couple of times. And uh, I know you've been a longtime fan of Grayson Hall and also of Dark Shadows and just all things gothic. In fact, that's uh, the name you go by, uh, as I recall. So t talk to us about how you got into Dark Shadows in the first place, and also what is it about Grayson Hall that that resonates with you? Well, I just have to share a fanboy moment. I know that most of your guests don't do this, but I'm just so honored to be on your show because oh. I thought your act was just, I loved your act, the um, Penny Dreadful. Oh, thank you. All the stuff <laughs> that I've seen of you, um, your film shows and everything. Um, like, I love your Vimeo channel that you set up. Oh, thanks. And uh, it was really <laughs> sweet to be able to meet you and Magoo years ago in Salem uh, that time and give you uh, one of my videotapes of Strange Paradise. Yes, I, I still it. have it. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of it's on uh, YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Now, and just, you know, I just love, and I love what you've been doing with Terror at Collinwood. I just think it's really innovative and uh, presenting Dark Shadows in a way, you know, it's very creative. And the guests you've had on have been really cool. And even like when you had Mark Perry on, I thought, I don't know about this project, but your interview with him was utterly fascinating. I listened to the entire thing and he has some great ideas for me. I agree. 
I agree. Yeah. Um, so I got into Dark Shadows. I really remember it very clearly. Um, I remember the first episode that I saw. It was in June of 1968. And I was still nine years old. I turned 10, like about a month later after I started watching. And uh, my babysitter got me into it. I think that might have been the last summer that my sister and I had a babysitter. Because I think after then, you know, in the 60s, people weren't as... Um, as uh, determined. Neurotic. That her, <laughs> <laughs> her little darlings were supervised at every moment of the day. But, but we were still young enough that our babysitter, her name was Judy, and she started talking about this TV show. She probably figured out that if there was any book about witches or ghosts or vampires in the library, I had to check it out and I had to read it. And she said, well, you know, there's a vampire on TV now. And I said, really? And people just don't understand in the 60s. There really was very little, you know, like there was like the Adams family and the monsters. And then on the weekends, there was creature feature or what what have you. Right. But there was really just very little. I really it was very, very straight. Everything was very straight. Mm-hmm. Everything. But, yeah. The straight yeah. world was definitely in control, even though the counterculture, which terrified mm-hmm. um, a lot of the, the when we said straights in the 60s, it didn't just mean heterosexuals. It meant. No, like, it was just like the man. Like, land culture. The man. Yeah. <laughs> and, yes. <laughs> you know, the corporations. And, yeah, and yeah. now it's more insidious because they pose as being countercultural. But right. Another topic for another time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just like, so she she talked about it. And then the most amazing thing that I still remember is she drew a picture of Angelique on um, this little blackboard. We had one of those tiny little blackboards in the basement. And she said, look at her. She's so pretty, but you would never know. She's so evil. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, like, because I loved witches and I loved vampires. So the first episode that I saw actually featured Thayer David, who we were talking about briefly before we began recording. And he was like my first, the first person who intrigued me. You know, there was kind of a dull episode. I think it might have been the death of Sam Evans, actually. But I don't know. I remember a lot of it was in the hospital. And uh, I thought, well, Thayer David's intriguing. Of course, I didn't know his name at the time. So I'm going to keep watching. The next day was The Exorcism of Cassandra Collins by oh. Reverend Trask. Oh, great. <laughs> and I mean, watching something like that, like it started out with her casting a spell on uh, poor Elizabeth Collins Stoddard, who looked just like Naomi Collins, who had always been very nice to Angelique. Not that mm-hmm. I knew that. And then behind her, the ghost of Reverend Trask begins to materialize. And I was just like transfixed. And then when he did the big like ritual, like there was an occult ritual on TV in the afternoon when none of my parents were home. (laughs) (laughs) They had no idea what I was watching. (laughs) I just adored it. And then the next day, which was a Monday, I saw my first sight of Julia and Barnabas. And they both had that air of gothic intrigue. And at the beginning of my notes for today, I wrote, theatricality is the keynote. 
because I've realized this over time. Like so many people write on Dark Shadows um, fan groups on Facebook. Oh, if only Dark Shadows were done today, they could like make the special effects really super and it would look so great. Well, I didn't really care about the special effects. In fact, the special effects on Dark Shadows were really pioneering, especially at the time. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. It was amazing what they and they didn't just keep it in one place like each year or every few months they kept introducing and like a lot of people who talk about the series don't acknowledge they did video editing um mm-hmm. as well yeah. starting in the fall of 69 i think yeah. it was yeah and then they used that a lot of course during the parallel time mm-hmm. storyline but um but for me, what made Dark Shadow, what continues to make Dark Shadows fascinating is the theatricality. And I realized, like, if I had been wealthier and if I had lived in a different city and had a different kind of situation, I probably would have become a huge theater buff and just mm-hmm. gone to plays a lot. And um, that's what I really love about, I think, um, I'm not actually a huge fan of Danny Horn's um, blog, but I was uh, for to prepare for today. I was reviewing various entries, and he spoke about the Magda trial episode that I would like to talk about later as mm-hmm. having an off-Broadway intensity. And for yeah. me, that sums up that phrase. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. you know, like periodically, I, I'll go back to Dark Shadows, having not watched it for quite some time, and I'll think, "Am I really going to enjoy this?" And it just captures me because of that magic that feeling that they're flying by the seat of their pants they don't know from moment to moment is like the set going to fall over or whatever (laughs) and they just enjoy because that's what theater actors do the show must go on and they're not like the hollywood actors where they're constantly turning to the director to say what's my motivation they are just like doing it baby yeah right and the spontaneity, I, I think, added to the uh, that frenetic energy that was it was coming through uh, because they they had to bring that energy every single day to the studio, uh, and it was it was I mean like you said flying by the seat of their pants, but it it actually added to it uh, and um, the theatricality of the actors. They brought in all these amazing, I mean, these eccentric, unique, larger than life people who to, to play these roles, uh, not only Grace and William, as you mentioned, you know, Jonathan and, and Thayer David and um, and even and even some of the, the uh, younger actors as well, like uh, John Carlin. I mean, just there was a certain quality to them that you really don't see very much these days. I mean, that that type of you know, gravita- intensity, intensity and gravitas and, and yeah. Mm hmm. I love George DeCenzo said about Grayson that she was a wackadoodle and overly dramatic. Um, even putting on her shoes was an <laughs> awful area. Um, so, you know, it's just like that personality that was so really almost too large for our little TV screens. But that, that just captures you that they're so invested in it. They're like. They're taking it for real. They're going to bring it home. So they they took it all very seriously. Although they probably they were you know the ones camera was cut. They were laughing their asses off. Oh, of course. And that, that's <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And that's 
it, they weren't, yeah, they definitely every, and, and I always, it, I always roll my eyes. And when right. I see if it was, Oh, dark shadows, tongue in cheek or campy. And it's like, well, no, they were, they were actually, th- these actors were playing this as if these events were really transpiring, you know, this, this right. was happening and the larger than life theatricality, it falls right into place in terms of the Gothic right. uh, genre. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the heightened emotion of, of the Gothic genre, that's what it's about. You have that right. sort of larger than life, um, almost exaggerated, not to the point of uh, absurdity or tongue in cheek. It's not like the, the 66 Batman where it is. Yeah, there right. are, there are, there's tongue in cheek happening there. I think they were genuinely uh, and everybody interviewed for the show too maintains that as well. So now what is it about Grayson Hall in particular that... Uh, is it is it the theatricality or uh, just her uh, delivery? What what is what is it about? Because Steve, as you outlined in your notes, you know the way Grace, even just Julia herself. I mean, Julia is such an iconic part of Dark Shadows. Uh, you can't have Dark Shadows, I think, without Dr. Julia Hoffman. Once she shows up, the show pivots in a in a really unique and interesting direction, you know, as she is a match for Barnabas. Um, and it's interesting how her character evolves throughout the course of, of the series. You kind of outlined this a little bit, Steve. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, um, I wrote some um, phrases about the different roles that Julia played. I think the 1967 version of Julia was kind of different from what she became after the mm-hmm. 1795 flashback, which of course happened with Barnabas as well. But because both Grayson and Jonathan Frid were such skilled actors, and um, I, I don't think they really hung on to the story, but they hung on to their characterizations. And so with those changes, they made it very plausible because of the kind of humanity that they brought. And I absolutely love your uh, point about this kind of emotional dramatic playing as being integral to the gothic aesthetic. And um, it's been great to see that coming back into horror, I think primarily through the lens of the folk horror Mm -hmm. revival, because that's kind of brought back a lot of this um, gothic stuff. But I, I wrote down these phrases, Dr. Julia Hoffman, psychiatrist and blood specialist, Dr. Julia Hoffman, occult investigator, occult detective. Dr. Julia Hoffman, mad scientist. Dr. Julia Hoffman, Collinwood's very own Dr. Feelgood. (laughs) I mean, on the Dark Shadows wiki, there's actually a hashtag for sedative, whatever one is dispensed. (laughs) Dr. Julia Hoffman, master hypnotist and mesmerist. Dr. Julia Hoffman, den mother or simply the mom. And it's interesting in how many episodes Julia basically fulfills the role of the mom. I mean, there's one where um, they're in the lab with poor Dr. Lang and Barnabas. And one is Dr. Lane's over here and Barnabas is over there and they're both going, Julia, Julia. And she's like, Will you two men please try to hold it together. <laughs> and they're like these little things like she'll um, adjust David's hair, just brush it or she'll fix Chris Jennings coat buttons. And you're like, well, she's this really cool lady, but she's also a mom. And I think, um, RJ, in your book, you uh, wrote very with great insight about 
that kind of dichotomy in Grayson's character, how she was very flamboyant and Mm -hmm. out there, but she also was a mom and she loved being a cook. And uh, I I remember one scene where she's with um, Denise and the camera's on Denise Richardson, but you could see Grayson stroking her hair in it. And again, I was like a very motherly thing to do. And I, to follow on Steve, I think Grayson and Stan, when he joined the show after Grayson, Grayson helped him get the job. I'm just let's yep. be clear. There's yep. a lot of rumors out there about he got her the job. No, it was the other way around. Um, he wrote for her to be a sympathetic character. He said she could never show that in her other film work or TV work. I would kind of um, differ because I feel like in Night of the Iguana, for which she was nominated for an Academy Award, Judith Bellows and Grayson, they both... They were in, or or Julia Hoffman and Judith Fellows, they were both in love with somebody and they couldn't speak of it. They couldn't do anything about it. And I thought that both of the characters were very vulnerable and they're, they're supposed to be the antagonist, but in both instances, they, that you gain sympathy. I leave Night of the Iguana feeling very sympathetic for Judith Fellows. If I was a 40-ish year old woman with dysentery in Mexico trying to keep track of this little nymphette who's being eyeballed by a drunken ex-minister, I think I would have had it up to here as well myself, you know? Yeah. And so I feel that Grayson is very good about painting this sympathy and that there's this uh, yearning and longing in these women. And I think that's what I responded to. You know, I responded to Julia was a professional woman, sort of um, discounted uh, by by men, you know, the men who she always had to help, as Steve pointed out, also by a lot of fans. She's discounted as a romantic lead. Um, oh, Barnabas should have always been with Angelique, never with Julia. That ticks me off to no end, you know? And so I think that's what I respond to is this woman constantly being discounted, who is an equal, who is superior, and who is taking care of business for everybody because they're all fruiting out about everything happening and can't get their stuff together, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I think we tend to a lot of times focus on Barnabas, Quentin, and Angelique because they're the supernatural characters. Mm -hmm. And Julia isn't supernatural, but she can always hold her own against she, she can stand mm-hmm. uh face to face with supernatural beings like Barnabas right. like Nicholas Blair like Angelique uh, slash Cassandra um yeah. Count Potofi I mean she's just uh you bought it too you bought it this lady's yeah. standing up in her little plaid you know suit and she's not going to take anybody's business right, right. and because she I mean she's brilliant she's very deceptive too and mm-hmm. a lot of the time uh and uh mm-hmm. she's very uh clever she's very intelligent you know she yes. can uh and it's it's great to see her match wits with Barnabas especially in those where she's those episodes those are where she's uncovering you know, right after 1795 yeah oh he's... yes yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely um we're talking about Grayson's Dark Shadows portrayals but she was uh you know she did so much outside of Dark Shadows and you mentioned Night of yeah. the Iguana which is an amazing Tennessee Williams play. I was in Night of the Iguana. Actually, I played uh, the Deborah Kerr role. I put Hannah. Oh, yeah. I thought they'd want me to play Maxine, actually, when I, when I went and auditioned, right. but they wanted me for Roman Coco. Roman Coco. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I had Nano. I was pushing Nano around. In right. the um, so, um, but uh, she did so much in the theater. What what are some of her favorite roles, do you know, uh, or things that she did? What was her 
Yeah, she really enjoyed uh, that. She did three Jean Genet plays, uh, The Balcony, La Balcon. In 1960, with Sylvia Miles, Nancy Marchand originated the part that she ended up taking over because uh, Nancy Marchand was pregnant. So she took over the Madame of the the, uh, the Bordello. So this ran off Broadway for over a year. And this was a straight play to run for over a year um, downtown in the village was really kind of unheard of. And um, so that was one of her favorites. And that's the first time she used the stage name Grayson Hall. She had been Shirley Grayson before. Mm-hmm. And it was by an accident that the script was delivered because they only knew her as, hey, she's mar- who's what's that actress's name? She's married to Sam Hall. We want to give her this part. Uh, I don't know. He calls her Grayson. So I guess her name's Grayson Hall. And so they delivered the script to her as Grayson Hall. You know, professionally, she had been Shirley Grayson. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but she liked it and she went with it. And um, so that was, I think, a big marking point in her career. Her Broadway debut was in a musical called Subways Are for Sleeping with Carol Lawrence, uh, better known as the original West Side Story. She was the original Maria. But Grayson didn't sing in it and she didn't really do much in the part. She was in the first act and that was it. Uh, so she, so that's her Broadway debut. And she did a lot of other plays, but they were small. They didn't last long. You know, she did a lot of stuff out of town, which I've not tracked down, but a few pieces of it. She also did another uh, Jean Genet play right after Dark Shadows, where she played again uh, uh, Borda, the you know the head of the prostitutes, and then she was in Happy End, which was a big play. Christopher Lloyd was in it, Meryl Streep, and she did sing on Broadway with that. And uh, her neighbor, who happened to be married to the theater director for Circle in the Square, Ted Mann, was her vocal coach. And there's a there's a cassette tapes of her. Now it's theatrical singing. So she's she's doing a recitative, which is telling you the story. You know, she's not doing an aria. So the those are big. The Lady in Hell. <laughs> That's right. There you go. So I think some of those are her big um, theatrical pieces. She really liked doing The House of Blue Leaves as well with John Lagar. She did not end up getting that on Broadway. She did it out of town. That actually turned out to be a real formative summer that they did it up in Rhode Island while he was still creating the play and drafting it. Her son, Matthew, was with her, Mm -hmm. um, but she did not get the part on Broadway. And there was hard feelings after that between her and the author. So I see. Mm -hmm. But if you read Matthew Hall's blog, which I think you're going to link to in your show notes, he talks about that very formative summer. It's called Nantucket 73. And that was the summer. And then her last play was The Mad Woman of Chaillot. Um, she didn't actually get to go on with that. She did rehearsals, and that was with Geraldine Page, Carrie Nye, oh, Mother Superior, Madeline Sherwood. That was her last play, and she had to leave before it actually opened because of the, she was so ill. Uh, she did several uh, films. She appeared in several films as well. Uh, I haven't seen them all. I've seen you know, right. that darn cat and uh, gargoyles right. and some some of those. Right. But um, right, uh, she did a film with Michael Douglas early in his career. They filmed that in Missouri, and um, all of her other films pieces are, are small, except for Night of the Iguana. And then mm-hmm. you know, so well, and then there's the film that we are not supposed to mention. Oh, right, she's the cl- no. she claimed oh, yeah. she wasn't in. <laughs> She's excellent in that. I actually really highly recommend people watch that. She's great in that. Is it Polly Magoo? No, um, it's Satan in High Heels. Satan in High Heels. That's right. Satan in High Heels. Well, Polly Magoo, um, that's sort of a weird French film. 
Um, she lived in Gorbidal's apartment in Paris while she made that. Wow. Um, Grayson was very connected. People will say, if you wanted to go to any play or go to any restaurant, you would call her and she'd get you in. Mm-hmm. Grayson and Sam were very connected, knew people everywhere. You know, er, um, uh, Armit Erdogan, who was the direct uh, music director uh, of, of uh, not, not Capitol, which was not Capitol Records. Yeah, he was on their honeymoon. Uh, they got drunk. He ended up going on their honeymoon with them with a girlfriend who was Grayson's uh, roommate. It was all very strange story. It's in the book. But <laughs> so so they were very connected and she did go to Paris and did made a film in Paris. Mm-hmm. And she did do a couple of plays in Italy at the Spoleto Festival. So she got around. Um, when, when I met Meryl Streep, Meryl Streep asked me, why do you want to write a book about Grayson? And I, I fumbled, I didn't have my pitch ready. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And I said, she had a, a modicum of success in every genre. Um, she had the Oscar nomination. She was big in avant-garde theater and, 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 and Southern Manhattan. She had Broadway experience. Uh, and then she was in the, uh, this iconic actress on a, you know, gothic TV show that has reached, you know, iconic status. And she's mostly remembered for that. Even her mother said, you'll be remembered more for this than for anything else you've done. But that's why I I love her. Uh, she just had all these pieces, all this, this incredibly faceted personality. And then like Steve pointed out I, in the book, I'm like, you know, people think she was at home. There was a NPR, uh, This American Life, actually, that there were two episodes about Dark Shadows. And one of the people were talking about how they love to think about her, you know, sitting in Manhattan, smoking and drinking in a bar, you know, around <laughs> the, the, the theater, uh, corner from the theater. And and I remember uh, Catherine Lee Scott said, little did they know she was at home making cookies? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> the mom the, side the, of her personality yeah. was the dichotomy. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and I remember reading it. I think it was one of those interviews that, uh, that Catherine Lee Scott did with uh, David Hennessy. He remarked on something that she was had a sort of co- would comment on things like kind of like a mom would, you mm-hmm. know, um, yeah. uh, she um she uh, I read about to the dinner parties that uh, mm-hmm. she'd have with Sam at their at their house and Dark Shadows cast right. members would go to their apartment and she had a they had a very unique looking apartment. I mean, there's yeah, like, well, it was dark. And so they they said, we're going to go with it. And they painted the walls wet walls red and they had, you know, all sorts of uh, antiques. And, you know, as a person, a gal who lived in New York, who could barely afford a room, you know, uh. <laughs> in a closet, yeah. I very much envied that apartment. I was all like, can't you guys let me move in now? Yeah, that room's empty, you know? So, but, mm-hmm. you know, Matthew and his wife were always gracious and would have me over for meals and Thanksgivings and, and uh, Matthew, they had two small children at the time. And so there were toys everywhere and a mess and Sam would come around and be like, oh, the money I spent decorating this place. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> mail storm, you know? <laughs> I wish that she had, um, much like Thera David, I, Grayson, I lived long enough I, to see the Dark Shadows fandom sort of start to blossom for sure in mm-hmm. terms of like post uh, original airing as the festivals mm-hmm. began and uh, the uh, the syndicated episodes and things like that. Uh, Thayer never got to attend and, and but Grayson never attended right. any of these nope. uh, festivals either. And I, I think she would have she would have enjoyed that. Uh, I think even Jonathan Fritt mm-hmm. and when Mary O'Leary was yeah. on here, she remarked on that. Yeah. Somebody asked a question at one of the latter fest or something I saw where they said who would have and they all, all the all the actors on the pa- end end of the fest panel said oh Grayson would have loved these yeah yeah she would have really thrived so it mm-hmm. is 
it is unfortunate that she couldn't participate. Yeah, yeah. And she, the the um, uh, Dan Curtis also. Uh, Steve and I were were messaging a little bit too earlier today. Dan Curtis loved Grayson Hall too. He mm-hmm. he really. Uh, in fact, at one point, Sam Hall was going to suggested killing Julia off yeah. in order to yeah. kind of refresh the show. The show. Uh, yeah, and Dan right. said no way. I uh, he wouldn't. Well, let you that happen. you probably read early in the show there was a strike. Grayson came from a very, very, what today would be called progressive socialist family. Mm-hmm. You know, they had fled Russia uh, in the early 1900s. That Moldova, Ukraine, Russia was all that area. And they came and they were very big. You know, they had Eugene Debs on their mantle and they uh, want, they actually sheltered Emma Goldman for a while. You know, they were very, very socialist minded. And so when this strike happened, and it was threatened to shut down the whole show. And it wasn't an actor strike. It was on the technical side. But still, everybody supported them. All unions mm-hmm. would strike in solidarity, wouldn't cross the picket lines. Um, you know, Grayson and Sam almost had to move back to his hometown in Ohio because they were not getting work when she got this job. And so she put aside her sentiments and talked the rest of the actors into crossing the picket line mm-hmm. and saving the show. So I think Dan was very loyal to her because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Steve, you put together a, a list of some of your favorite uh, Grayson Hall uh, scenes from all of the different characters. Of course, her favorite character was was Magda, which I, we're going to talk about Magda in a little mm-hmm. bit. So, so take us through some of these uh, scenes and why you decided to choose those in particular, if you if you would. Okay, well, I thought I would start by going through her characters. So I talked a little bit about Julia. Mm-hmm. And as part of my prep, I checked her, the episode numbers, like how many episodes was each character in. And I was surprised. So Julia was in 341 of the total episodes. Mm-hmm. I guess the total is like 1225 yeah. of mm-hmm. the episodes. Um, and just the, that number, that's one of the reasons why when people remember Grace and they remember Julia. In fact, when I first got into the fandom, I was corresponding with the editor of a Grayson-centered zine called Wincliffe Watch. Oh, I remember May Sutherland, yeah. Yes, and the editor said, oh, are you a Julia fan? (laughs) And I actually thought of myself as a Grayson Hall fan, Mm -hmm. but... I was like, well, yeah, I think Julia's great. And it's kind of interesting to see fans who don't like Grayson or don't like Julia. Like I I saw a thread about this, I think on a Facebook group recently, or maybe it was actually a a YouTube commentary channel where they were like, oh, I hate Julia. She lied about everything. She covered up for Barnabas, killed Dave. They all lied. There was um, there was a fan gathering just for Grayson and her fans in uh, 1982, the Grayson gathering. And it was a little bit sad because the person who put it together was unable to attend because of a family emergency. But there's a recording of them having dinner with Grayson. And at one point, somebody goes, well, uh, Grayson, you did kill your friend, Dr. Woodard. Grayson says, I made a hypo. (laughs) (laughs) 
I did not. not kill him. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember, Barnabas threatened to torture Dave Woodard to death. I mean, he was yeah. heavily implying that he was not implying. He flat out said he was going to make his death horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and agonizing. I mean, he it, was there another way out of way that? to go? Yeah. It, could she what could she else could she have done at that? I guess she could have gone to the police, but I don't know. I, I, they wouldn't get, we're going to believe her. Oh, there's a vampire out at Collinwood. Sheriff Patterson was, <laughs> Sheriff Patterson would have bungled that for right. sure. <laughs> well, as, as Mrs. Johnson said of Sheriff Patterson, he knows when the lunch whistle blows. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Another of my favorite actresses, Clarice Blackburn. Oh, she was great. She was, who was great. a good friend of Grayson's and she doesn't get enough um, recognition. Oh, agreed. Yeah. She was a, she was a great actress. Uh, you know, really, really fantastic. And Dana Elkar, actually, we're talking about Sheriff Patterson. Sure. I, I haven't really talked about him a whole lot in this show, but he was he was out of the Sheriff Patterson's. He is the I would say the archetypal uh, Sheriff Patterson <laughs> on the show. The different actors who played that role. He, he was he was quite good and went on to success with MacGyver, as, as I recall. Um, so Julia went through uh, several different phases. And of course, Grayson uh, says that she's the one who came up with the idea that uh, Julia was in love with Barnabas, that Julia developed uh, feelings for Barnabas, because at first she starts out you know, very much the mad scientist, the science mind. Yeah, He wants to, she's discovered this creature and feels that she can, can cure him. And, uh, but she develops feelings for him and Grayson herself. She, she came up with the idea of playing this angle, right? That, that, Mm -hmm. uh, well, she, she said that she found Grayson. She thought Julia was a straight ass. She was a straight arrow. (laughs) She was boring. So she had, she, you know, most actors who she took every class, she studied the method, she studied everything. So she wrote her own background for Julia in her own head and gave her motivations. And that's, that's what she did that just, she said, to make her more interesting. And that, and the audience connected on it. For sure. For sure. The writers were like, what's she doing? Oh, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And at, at first, you know, you're watching and it's like, wow, that's really messed up. Like at first, because she's just, he's a, he's a, he's a vampire. He is an undead creature who prays. So you really want to know what but, was going on in Julia's home life as a child. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. And many and, fans, including myself, have tried to solve that. But yeah. But as the show goes on, I mean, it's yeah. just, it's fascinating. And they develop this bond and you feel for Julia. It's this unrequited yeah. love, you know, that she has for, for Barnabas. And I know a lot of, there's a lot of debate, like well, was Barnabas, should Barnabas should be with Julia or Barnabas should be with Josette or Angelique. Yeah. Uh, you commented on Danny Horn, something he said that I agree. It's like, why does Barnabas, should Barnabas be with anybody? <laughs> right. Just, I mean, he's just Julia, Julia deserves better doesn't she i mean i, right. I love Barnabas. don't get me wrong i love barnabas but right. he is a hot mess <laughs> right. she shouldn't have to be cleaning up with that for the rest of her days right? <laughs> he's just I, that's part of what i like about barnabas he's there's so many different uh, you know conflicting yeah. personality right. traits and there's so he's a tortured soul you know um so uh let's talk about some of these scenes steve that you that you picked out what do you like about these scenes in particular? Okay. Um, well, one scene that I really love is in episode 296. 
when um, Julia has just hypnotized Maggie Evans and erased mm-hmm. her memory. Mm-hmm. And sadly, it's an episode that exists only in Kinescope, which to me gives it an extra charm because it reminds me of a classic universal horror movie. Watching it. Yeah. And Julia marches back into the old house and she coolly lights her cigarette from one of Barnabas's candles. <laughs> I love it. Yes. at her. <laughs> She's like totally like, what the hell, you know, I've just saved your vampire ass again. And then she informs him, I fixed this for you. She's not going to remember. And he's like, well, what if she does? And she's like, I will take care of it. But I am in control. Right. Good night, yeah. Barnabas. Marches <laughs> <laughs> out. He's like fit to be tied because he's this person from the 18th century yeah and women aren't supposed to behave like that now this was in 1967 Mm -hmm. and people who are younger don't realize that that was actually still the norm true you know with all the counterculture in the 1960s the 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 man as we were calling it they were all deeply threatened by feminism and Betty Friedan had written The Feminine Mystique. And um, I just love that scene because she kind of plays it like Natasha on uh, <laughs> Bullwinkle. <laughs> you but, have to wonder if that, that cigarette lighting was in the stage direction or she just decided to do it, you know. All right. That's such a boss move. It really is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, in a lot of the scenes, Grayson is like like she was clinging to whatever thing is around, like a newel post or the bed post or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I know watching it. Oh, it's because she's jonesing for a cigarette. And, That's right. And her gloves. <laughs> RJ's ringing the gloves right now. These <laughs> actually are Grayson Hall's gloves, Danielle. Uh, are oh you kidding God. me? Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. And this behind me. They're red. See on my left shoulder is a yeah. scarf uh, that she bought in Greece. No and uh, Matthew gave these things to me. Oh, so, but yeah, wow. Steve's right. She was Jones and. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so oh, and this, this was hers as well. This brooch. Really? She bought this in Greece. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so cool. You know, a fan commented the other day uh, on some one of one of the episodes that Grayson was was the master of bringing the gloves. <laughs> I actually found the note where I what with these and Matthew was saying, I hope that, that my mother's hands were very small now, as I remember, I hope they can you can fit these. And I'm like, I'll find a way I'll find a way. <laughs> Uh, I w- one thing you you one in your notes are you mentioned the the hypnotism you know the that she oh, hypnotizes yes. Vicky and I love that too where she sort of uses uh, her skills as a hypnotist to implant that image of Barnabas the ghoulish looking image of Barnabas is, looks, looks green uh, you know and the lighting in the coffin uh, and Vicky's unconscious memory and I always wonder malpractice why they, malpractice right right <laughs> I wish I wonder why they never made that. Never forget. (laughs) I wish they first do some harm. First, do some harm, you know. (laughs) One of my favorite touches in that scene that I think that's like the best. There's several episodes where she does that. It's uh, episode 347, and it was written by the fabulous Joe Caldwell. Oh, yes. He's one of my favorite Mm -hmm. writers for the show. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my favorite touches that, again, I think it's just Grayson throwing it in is Vicky's so horrified and she can't bear to look. And Julia's like, you will look again. And then she's like, uh, Vicky's like, 
terrified and horrified. And then Grace or Juliet goes to close the coffin and there's this sigh of like the sigh with the eye roll of like, oh, you poor little ingenue. What are we going to do? You You can't cut it. You see him in the coffin and you're like ready to faint. Well, get used to it, honey. I just love that. (laughs) It's great. Steve, do you remember who directed that episode? Um, Unfortunately, I did not write Mm -hmm. that down. Mm -hmm. Oh, I I know because like I'm curious at the episodes you check. I feel that uh, and it's been remarked upon in other forums is Leela Swift always told everyone to act bigger and bigger, mm-hmm. you know, and so Grayson will get criticized for being overly hammy over director. Well, she was a she was professional. She followed her boss's advice. She was told to get bigger yeah. and bigger. And so the, who was the director that always used the term transish transition? Henry Kaplan. Henry Kaplan. Henry. Yeah. I think her best episodes are directed by yeah. him because she's much more subtle mm-hmm. and um, and nuanced. Yeah. And um, so I'll, I'm just going to, as Steve talks about the scenes, I'm going to kind of peek. I've got my my computer open to see yeah. who directed. Um, uh, Sam Hall commented in one of those MPI interviews that uh, when they'd cut to Grayson's reaction shot that she was channeling Greta Garbo. Have you seen <laughs> Yeah. No, yes. don't ever end on her. Don't ever. Yeah. Don't right. Ever right. <laughs> I wish they had made that uh, medallion as a. I'm surprised they never sold that as a Dark I Shadows do. piece of merchandise. Yeah. That the Julia Hypnotism medallion. That's that's they made them all of these other things. It's like we need yeah. that medallion. That would be a fun. I want the medallion. Oh, that'd yeah. be great. That'd be a great. I don't piece care of- about all that other stuff they sell. I want that <laughs> medallion. <laughs> You'll be walking around hypnotizing <laughs> people at work. <laughs> you will give me all your money. You yeah. give me. <laughs> so what 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 other episodes uh would you did, did you note here? So I also love the um storyline where where old Barnabas, I'm glad that you mentioned at the beginning that there are spoilers ahead. Yes. Uh, old <laughs> Barnabas um, bites uh, Carolyn and makes her his vampire slave. Mm-hmm. And Nancy Barrett just, and I think Nancy Barrett also, like I want to give a lot, big shout out to her. I've actually met her She's a few times at the festivals. Grayson always said Nancy was the best actress on the mm-hmm. show. And mm-hmm. Grayson was very impressed by Nancy's fluency in Cockney. Like <laughs> Grayson thought technically that was mm-hmm. incredible. But Nancy is also just such a, um, a re- she's like very real, but also um, can like do the gothic emoji mm-hmm. in a way that's very um Plausible, and so whenever she and Grayson would work together, it just had this again this this magic, this theatrical magic between mm-hmm. them because they worked together really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that see those scenes where um, Barnabas made Carolyn uh, taunt Doctor Hoffman, my favorite, and my friend Michael, uh, who's a longtime fan as well, loves this too. When uh, Carolyn has put the hypo and a couple of other goodies in Julia's bedroom and she comes down and and Carolyn's on the phone (laughs) setting up a date with uh, the Jerry Lacey character (laughs) and um, and then Julia slams the phone down and Carolyn looks at her and says, please, Julia, it's almost dinner time and you haven't even dressed. If you want to live with us, you have to live by our <laughs> Yes, that's great. And yes. if looks could kill, the look that Julia gives her is like just brilliant. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Great choice. Absolutely. I agree with you. Uh, and I agree with Grayson about Nancy uh, Barrett. Was She was 
absolutely one of the best uh, actresses uh, on the show, just or actors on the show, period, because she just she was so genuine, even when mm-hmm. she was playing something like Pansy Faye, um, there right. was a lot of depth to that character, you know, in another actor's hands, that could have just been uh, just this kind of just a stereotype, crazy mm-hmm. Cockney character, but she was, there was a tragic aspect to that <clears throat> character as well. And uh, she was, she was, Nancy Barrett is, is great. She's sensational. I agree. So a lot of fans um, really love the episode where Barnabas comes to Julia's bedroom and she tells him, I've been waiting for you a long time, a long, yeah. long time. A very long time. <laughs> but actually, more than that, I love the scene immediately before that, which also is a Joe Caldwell script, where the two are playing cat and mouse. And she's like, I've told you, I'll give you a fair exchange of information. Well, how much could you possibly know? <laughs> oh, I know more than you might think, you know, and she's just <laughs> winding him up. Yeah. That scene is just so brilliantly played. Every time I watch it again, I'm like, yeah, go, Julia. But, you know, it's kind of scary, too, because he's right. a vampire. Right. Um, Joel Caldwell, I, 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 he's he's still with us. Uh, I, I, uh, I believe he's yeah, he's still with us. So, yeah, he's the last surviving Dark Shadows writer, I believe. So I'd, I'd like to get him on the podcast at some point because he wrote some absolutely wonderful episodes. And then he came back in parallel time and wrote some great episodes there, too. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we can't forget, of course, the vampire Tom Jennings storyline. <laughs> yes. <laughs> another actor that Grayson really um, worked well with was mm-hmm. the late Don Briscoe. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. He really enjoyed how, you know, her style of acting. And Mm -hmm. um, there's this really cute scene in um, the Leviathan storyline where they're doing a dramatic scene and it's towards the end of the scene and the camera's on Don and all of a sudden he breaks out into this big grin and you know that it's because Grayson had just pulled one of her faces (laughs) at him, which she would do periodically, even though, as RJ says, she was always professional. But they had, like, really long working hours on Dark Shadows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but fans... I guess the fandom is divided. Some fans think the Tom thing is really scary and other fans interpret it as, oh, she was cheating on Barnabas with Tom, even though, of course, she had nothing to do with the fact that he attacked her. Right. Um, But he played, Briscoe played Tom in a very erotic way. And then like the payoff ultimately is when Don Briscoe comes back as Chris Jennings. The first time Julia sees him is when she's in Joe Haskell's hospital room Mm -hmm. and she has to freak out. (laughs) 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 And then tamp it down real quick because Joe doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And you can tell Don Briscoe's trying hard to just like not crack up and try <laughs> in that scene. Yeah. You don't remember our one night stand, honey? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love I love the the whole uh, Tom Jennings Julia stuff I, that whole sequence with Tom and uh, and Julia I think it's it was an interesting you know here's Julia who was trying to uh, re, you know reverse Barnabas's condition uh, and get rid of the vampire curse uh, and here now she's being victimized by a vampire and it's up to Barnabas to and who 
you know, not long before was planning to kill Julia is now has to save Julia from a vampire, which was an interesting uh, turn of events there for sure. Right. Um, another scene that fans love to play over and over and over again is what I call the slap heard around the world. Oh, is, yeah. Everybody loves that one. When <laughs> That's right. That evil wig weary witch, Cassandra <laughs> Collins. <laughs> <laughs> needed to get her come up and yeah. and um I I still remember when I was watching that episode in 1968 I was at my grandmother's house and I just can't convey to you what it was like to see something like that on TV you know I mean because nowadays the whole bitch thing and soap operas it's like a cliche but mm-hmm. well I never watched soap operas unlike a lot of dark shadows fans yeah me neither I never got into regular soap operas <laughs> The only other one I ever watched was Strange Paradise, which I'm still a fan of. Right, which is was inspired by the success of Dark Shadows. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The slap heard around the world. I mean, that's uh, that's such a famous scene from the show. And again, it goes Mm -hmm. back to when I was talking about Julia just is able to stand toe to toe with with these super. I mean, Cassandra is a powerful witch uh, and Julia that worked on so many levels. uh, Just that it's just such a great moment in Dark Shadows. (laughs) Talk about a a boss move. Definitely. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good choice. And then following up on that, all the scenes where Julia defies um, Nicholas Blair, another of the greatest actors on the show to me, Humbert Allen Estrado. He's great. um, I'm so glad that uh, somebody uh, with the Collinsport Historical Society did a a video, an audio interview with Humbert before he died. It's Patrick McRae. Yeah. Yes, that's a great interview and mm. fans of Humbert should listen to it. For Dark Shadows fans, he only talks about Dark Shadows during the last minute and a half, roughly. Mm. I don't think Humbert really wanted to talk about Dark Shadows. I think it was more, I asked Patrick about that. He was on episode 10 of the podcast. And I think it was more, he was, he assumed that uh, Humbert wouldn't want to talk about Dark Shadows and was scared a little to bring it up. And then he asked, is it okay if we talk about Dark Shadows? And Humbert said, sure. He was fine with it. Uh, So he said he wished he had asked him a little bit more about it uh, because he seemed okay with it when he brought it up. But I think he started out by talking a lot about theater and he's, Patrick is is a theater teacher. He's very knowledgeable about the theater. So I think Humbert liked that and felt comfortable talking with him. So, um, but I'm glad he did at least get that bit about Dark Shadows and at the end, yeah. Yeah, because it was so fascinating to learn that the role of Nicholas was written specifically for Humbert. Yes, yeah. And uh, so Humbert and Grayson, I think, might have had a similar background in some ways. And again, as with Clarice Blackburn and some of the other actors that we've talked about, they just were so great together. And it was, you know, as somebody watching at home, again, we were so unused to seeing these supernatural beads and to see somebody who was just human and for the love of Barnabas. But also it was kind of like you felt like there was a limit to how patient Julia could be. Yeah. And I felt like that came out in her scenes with Nicholas, because I'm sure in her mind she was thinking, can't you keep your own house in order? You know, you've got this pet vampire living with you and you have this glorious plan for the new master race. But don't you realize what's going on right under your very nose? And then you get the great scene where um, Nicholas chastises Angelique, which is also a big 
fan favorite, of course. Mm-hmm. I love that she, she just brings him the steak and the mallet and yeah, just hit, leaves them there. You know what needs to be done. And just, yeah, it's, it's great. She says, she says, you forget, Mr. Blair, I am an authority on this disease. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I always felt, I mean, Juliet, the fact that Julia thought she could cure Barnabas is fascinating. And she, I don't think, I think uh, George DiCenzo wrote a letter to a fan saying that any cure for vampirism would not be permanent. It would, it would, he would revert at some point because it's a supernatural affliction, but Julia figured out how to, how to isolate these cells. And subsequently, I mean, Julia could do just about any sort of anything that involved mad science called Julia. I mean, with, with Adam, with Eve, uh, and we have, uh, you know, even, uh, later on with, um, Judah Zachary that reattach, trying to put the head. uh, Yes. To to reattach them. They had these wires with the the lightning and everything. Underground. to the mask of ball and <laughs> right. oh it was great it was it was i wonder if if they were inspired by i mean we know dan curtis was a fan of universal horror films and i wonder if he saw uh house of dracula you know be, with dr edelman uh where dracula john carradine's dracula want, uh, mm-hmm. goes to be cured asks dr edelman for for a cure which doesn't work out for, <laughs> for dr edelman but i wonder if that was that seed was in there somewhere i just want to say um, one thing i know like everybody always repeats the story that it was because of a typo that dr julian hoffman became Dr. Julia Hoffman. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is just my opinion. I personally don't buy that story. There was an interview, I think it was Bob Costello, the producer mm-hmm. for a while, talked about when they were casting the role of Dr. Hoffman. I think he said in the in the they were in a bar, and I think he said either Grayson was on TV. Right. Or she might have actually shown up and they she might have joined them for drinks briefly. And after she left, somebody said, you know, she would be great as this doctor. Why don't we cast her? There are also rumors that another actress had been cast before her and didn't work out. That's what Catherine Lee Scott. Right. So my yeah. research showed that they did audition men, but they thought they were all boring. They didn't they couldn't uh-huh. pick any of them. They thought they were boring. And they did select another woman. And um, Sam said he was going to try to remember her name because it was a, he said it was a name I would know um, but he he never uh, got back to me about it because uh, it, she just decided she didn't want to do it and so they called the casting agent Michael Shirtliff who got Grace in her role in A Night of the Iguana and they called and said we need somebody fast We're, it's, filming is tomorrow this woman just backed out and he said okay well I've got somebody and that's so and then Grayson was the story is it was a hot summer day. She was about ready to step in the shower and she picked up the phone and they, he said, get over there right away. And of course, Grayson only lived seven blocks away from the studio. And so that's when she went over. And then, yeah, she started the next day. So Amazing. Yeah. because I mean, Dr. Woodard refers to Julian Hoffman in, the, in yeah. the show itself. So, yeah, maybe they were I can see that they were they auditioned some guys and they weren't happy with them and then changed yeah. changed the gears and of course dan curtis claimed that he he was the one who said oh let's let's make the doctor a woman but right. you never know with dan right. Right. <laughs> uh, okay so how about some grayson played several other characters and do you have any other yes. julia comments uh steve before talking about some of her other characters well i'm going to move on to talk about um another character who i really love that she played countess natalie dupre who mm-hmm. was devoted aunt of josette dupre 
And it's interesting, um, in the Dark Shadows fandom, apparently in the 70s and 80s, there were a lot of Barnabas and Josette uh, shippers, as we would say nowadays. Yeah. Like, that was like a major, like they, some fan, before this was before Etsy, um, made these little pillows that said Barnabas and Josette, these little heart-shaped pillows that they sold at the conventions. But what I liked about Countess Dupre, well, of course, I loved her entrance. Um, that was in episode 368. Why do you use that title? Huh? Okay, answer the question. He say, uh, Joshua said, why do you use that title? Oh, oh right. <laughs> I, was I was born, born with it. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> Still alive. <laughs> but there was a revolution. That's why I live in Martinique. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those scenes, I love scenes also with Grayson Hall and Louis Edmonds. They played See, very well off. They were just the sparring between the two of them was just fantastic. I was an I was a Natalie Joshua shipper. I was like, you know, after <laughs> Naomi yes. died and Joshua settled down a little bit, and became more sympathetic. I could have seen them getting together. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Take it away. Oh no, that's a great comment. <laughs> that would have been a rather dramatic marriage. Definitely. <laughs> that's right. I, I think I wrote something suggesting that at one point. I was like, hey, come on, what about this pairing? <laughs> And then you see them, I mean, when, uh, you know, later on in 1841 parallel time, the Brutus and Constance uh, scene. Yeah. 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 Uh No, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't give me the same vibe. No, 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 (laughs) no. No. Well, they were brother and sister, too. That's right. That wouldn't have stopped them in gold key comments. (laughs) I love how imperious she was as Natalie. Too. Yeah. Well, so, it was. I thought it was a great role in terms of Grayson's personal thing that you've talked about, RJ, in your book, mm-hmm. because she was very flamboyant and she read tarot cards <laughs> and she would make yeah. happy comments about the food. Right. Oh, right. The, Fish had no flavor. I've been told that the cook doesn't use wine. It's because of her religion. (laughs) You know, here you all treat your emotions like they're stable in the tropics. Emotions melt like ice. She had just had all those great lines. But she also was like just so devoted to Josette. It was obviously like a surrogate mother. Mm -hmm. And there's a wonderful scene. I didn't write down the episode number where where Barnabas has come back from the dead and finally met up with Josette and Josette comes back and she's so distracted and Natalie's trying to find out what's going on. And then she says, Josette, I've been talking nonsense and you're not listening to anything I'm saying. And she just seems so distressed in that scene. And then in the subsequent scenes leading up to the death of Josette, just she does play a lot of vulnerability and motherly feeling in a way that to me is very touching. Agree. Agree. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So um, I think my other favorite episode is episode 379, where Natalie is playing cat and mouse with Miss Winters. And that's an amazing episode because she has a couple of scenes with Vicky. And in one of them, Grayson starts to have one of her coughing slash choking fits that she would periodically have. Because for one thing, Grayson lived with asthma her entire life. Mm -hmm. And um, RJ found out a lot about that that's in the book. And Grayson manages to control the choking and coughing. And she just plays it so beautifully. I just feel like, oh, my hat is off to you if I were wearing one. Yeah. It's a great yeah. scene. Um, 
So I think I'm going to move on to Magda Rakosi. Yeah. <laughs> the, okay. the, yeah. The Roma. Well, now we say Roma. That's the preference of the Roma people. But of course, in the 60s, they were called gypsies. And I just love how in the first episode, Beth comes to have Magda come read the cards for Miss Edith. And Magda says, I have gypsy cards older than the tarot. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. You're stuck, you white girl, you're stuck with these tired tarot cards. I've got the real stuff here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Magda was amazing. What an amazing creation that character uh, was. And uh, uh, Grayson's grandmother was Roma, correct? No, she was um, she was from uh, Moldova, Moldova, Moldova. But, you know, Sam, when I writing the book. So after the book came out, I got an email from one of uh, Matthew's cousins going, you got my whole family wrong. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, you know, it's from the husband. The husband doesn't care about who was, you know, Grayson's aunt and uncles or, you know, he would just come into this house and there were all these people there. Right. And who who's who. And so then he said, oh, and he would tell the story that, oh, it was based on her grandmother being gypsy, you know, uh, sold for two oxen. Well, (laughs) (laughs) Bessie was a, 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 a Jewish woman who lived was from Moldova and she was the second wife of uh, Grayson's grandfather and they um, immigrated to the United States in in the late night late 1800s or early 1900s so I don't know about the whole gypsy story but the grandmother that I know of Bessie was from Moldova okay (laughs) but it's still a fun idea yeah well those yeah those scenes with uh with Grayson and and they are right off that you know when you get to 1897 and they're the first characters you meet he's like throwing knives or at the calendar yeah (laughs) yes yep (laughs) knives yeah he's practicing his knife throwing and i think she's looking at the crystal ball and right away i mean you can sense that they're having a complete blast playing those characters because they're so colorful and steve isn't there the story that they would go to the britney dussois and like have a couple drinks and run their lines and you know which was a bar that was right on the corner it's a cafe restaurant now but it was a place called the britney dussois yeah (laughs) you just love thinking about that in the get were they in the get-ups when they were running the lines like <laughs> oh probably not no I yeah don't know. <laughs> that would imagine <laughs> Grayson had so much makeup on and Thayer yeah. more of him was covered up Grayson had mm-hmm. did her hands and her face and sure yeah and um so the, uh, you know <laughs> the thing is though again uh I, like I said about Nancy Barrett it, it, I mean in in the hands of any other actors these could have just been these stock characters but they're actually i mean there is depth as we watch the the storyline progress magda and sandor loved each other they truly loved each other they were they were an old married couple they argued and bickered and insulted each other but they underneath all of that there was real love there and it was heartbreaking when sandor dies i mean you grayson was amazing when uh her her the sadness you know it really uh i get choked up when I watch that. You know, it's it's sad. It's really sad yeah. because they did care for each other. Yes, that was great that she was allowed to play a regular married lady. I mean, well, mm. there's nothing regular about that. <laughs> <Right. laughs> 
a married there. lady with a, a partner of long term, right? Long standing partner. Their interactions, like there's that one scene where he comes in and he's like, Magda, give me my soup. Oh, you big stupid. Here's her soup. You know, it's like, <laughs> so classic. You just got to love it. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Grayson played Magda in 59 episodes. And then there's like this fabulous scene in episode 887, which is one of my all-time favorite episodes of Dark Shadows, the beginning of the Leviathan storyline, which I would love to talk about more. Personally, it's one of my favorite storylines because of all the great Julia stuff and some other like Nicholas comes back and the other stuff. But um, that first episode, she has this time warp thing happen where she's in the drawing room. And at that point, they had gotten this thing with the camera where they could do these spot flashes, like interacting, flashing between the Barnabas portrait and Julia. And um, and Grayson's like basically emoting as she's listening to Magda talk about, oh, they disappeared, you know, and it's just such a great moment of uh, Grayson and Stereo. There are a couple of other (laughs) moments like that later on where I'm just like about ready to crawl out of my skin because it's twice the Grayson for the same price. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so, so, yeah, Magda... I think one of the best episodes is when King Johnny, uh, played by Paul Michael, another fabulous theater and TV actor, mm-hmm. um, comes in mm-hmm. to um, in exact vengeance upon Magda for stealing the infamous yeah. hand of the infamous Count Patofi. She pulled the bajor. The bajor, <laughs> yeah. Gajo and bajor, those are real Roma words. Are we- they really? Yeah. Oh. In the scripts, yeah, they're mentioned in other books on the Roma people that I've read. And I think Violet Wells has to get credit for that because she would actually do research, unlike yeah. some of the other writers who just didn't have time. But that scene where King Johnny summons up the spirits of the ghosts of the dead, which was an idea that they got from The Devil and Daniel Webster, the 1941 film yes. with Walter Houston as Old Scratch. And that's why um, Humbert used to say Nicholas Blair was the Walter Houston role. Right. Oh, okay. Right. Even kind of dresses like with the hat and the gloves and everything. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a 60s version of that look. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I don't have an answer for, well, I don't think Nicholas Blair was the devil because we saw Diabolos, who I'm not sure really was the devil, because in traditional demonology, there's like this hierarchy of hell, just as there is a hierarchy of heaven. Right. But I don't want to get too metaphysical. (laughs) Well, anyway, I just love that. I like I love that she banishes one of the ghosts with the earth. Uh And another ghost she banishes with her tears. That's so um, magical and very much folk magic kind of thing. And so it's just so unusual to see that on it. I think now we're starting to see that more with folk horror. Mm -hmm. But whoever wrote that episode, I think it was Violet Wells who wrote it. Mm -hmm. She must have found some folklore about this was one of the, the gypsy magic techniques as it would have been called then and i just think it's great that they incorporated that in the show agreed yeah it's fantastic i was that's the uh johnny uh romanos it's the catch the weasel is that no that's the isn't that when they're hunting magda after yes so magda now we play hunt the weasel the weasel oh johnny no no hunt the weasel (laughs) yes 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Grayson would really throw herself into those scenes. Another friend begged me to reenact the scene where she's being haunted by the ghost of Dave Woodard and how he's going, <laughs> Dave, 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 <laughs> yes. you, Julia, you have no friends. Yeah. <laughs> The trial scene is, is with Magda is sad too because I mean one of the ghosts is oh. Sandor one of the one of the ghosts summoned to the yeah. trial is Sandor that and she had to banish Sandor. Uh, so. She did. Now, are there any other uh, Magda scenes before you go to the next character? Oh, there are so many Magda scenes. <laughs> I know. Well, was... One one you noted was the whole that oh. whole storyline, right? Just yeah. watch Magda. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it was with Trask, with Gregory Trask, and she oh, calls him a so swine. Great. She calls yeah. him a swine. He says, did you see my wife? Which one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because of uh, Minerva, because, he's, you know, he's, yeah. he's, uh, he has Evan Hanley call up the this image of, of Minerva and supposed to pretend that she doesn't see her. Uh, right. So when he's when she's interacting with Judith, I, was, I thought that was a great bit, too. Yeah, that was uh, another un- unusual occult technique that is um, calling up um, not the actual ghost, but like a simulacrum of a dead person. Mm -hmm. And like, how did they find out about that? Because that wasn't really that widely known. You know, there are some things that you see a a lot in supernatural shows, but that was unusual. They must have had insights, you know, (laughs) fine. <laughs> okay. Well, I know time is going on, so I don't want yeah. to um, uh, miss out on talking about Hoffman. Yes. Insidious. Now, I think Steve. I don't even. I've never actually seen that. That this. Then I the parallel to Hoffman. I've never seen. Oh, that. you haven't watched 1970 Parallel no. Time? Oh, she was no. great as Hoffman, as Mrs. Danvers. Oh, she was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Well, now that it's finally streaming and without commercials, I might watch it now. Yeah, it's <laughs> fun. Uh, there are a lot of fans who like Leviathan. There are a lot. There are a lot of fans who seem to only you know it's like introduction of Barnabas to uh you know uh, 1897 and all of those mm-hmm. that stuff is well there's people gripe about adam the adam storyline too yeah. i i think uh leviathan and parallel time are f- really fun storylines and interesting innovative unique and yeah for sure grayson as as the mrs danvers character was so good i thought yeah. she did a great job what were your thoughts yes. on that steve Yes, um, I think that was some of Grayson's best acting because she really um, dialed it down and underplayed. And I think whoever was directing then allowed her to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, one episode, so like a thing that's really fascinating about the Hoffman character, she's kind of really like the mirror image. I was going to comment on that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of Julia. Julia in our time, Julia in our time um, meets Barnabas and falls in love with him, but is trying to redeem him. And when I was in my earlier years of researching Dark Shadows, I actually thought of the entire arc of Dark Shadows as Julia tried to help Barnabas to find redemption. That was Mm -hmm. the main theme that Mm -hmm. I saw in the show. Now I think it's like more complicated than that because it's just so big and there's so many themes. But Hoffman is is the opposite. And a scene that I chose from uh, episode 1015, it's when the Angelique of Parallel Time, her twin, her twin sister, Alexis, has come back. And then Alexis has been killed by the undead Angelique. So I call her Angelexis at that point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the, in the beginning of the episodes, they 
very strongly imply that there was a lesbian relationship between Hoffman and Angelique. But then obviously somebody in the standards and practices offices said, um, this is daytime TV, you know, no lesbians here. They still got away with coding the Louis Edmonds character, the version of Roger. They coded him as a gay man. Um, coding is a practice that's been discussed by queer cultural historians for um, kind of including things like it might have just been the ascot or how the, how the dialogue was written to signal to those who were in the know that a character was was gay or or queer or however you want to call it. Um, but in uh, that episode 1015, it's just so great, the interaction, because Angelique is like, oh, I feel so, so nervous about putting a hex on Quentin. I've never been able to control him. And Julia's like, well, you want him, don't you? Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, yeah, but, but I don't really... I- and she hands her the the voodoo doll and the pin, yeah. and goes, "Come on, cast the spell, do it now!" And she, <laughs> diabolical, and yeah, she just does it in like this really matter of fact way. That's in a way very ungracious, but very convincing because there's no flamboyant, no theatrics. She's just like, "This is a job that we have to do," and you're, you know, I'm giving you the tools. Now get on with it before mm-hmm. I have to slap you. fantastic yeah um i think well i think warren odson wrote an essay years ago about parallel time and um and when i do the parallel time episode i want to kind of touch on some of that but um that all of parallel time there are so many inversions when we look at it in comparison to the the main time band and uh hoffman is is a big one for sure she's uh as you say she's she's much more subtle and uh um, there's a cold kind of sinister quality there but she's also uh instead of trying to help barnabas she wants to destroy barnabas when she uncovers what he is uh Angelique is her closest ally. And she, as you point out, the, the subtext there is she's in love with Angelique as Mrs. Danvers. There, that subtext exists with Mrs. Yeah. Danvers and yeah. Mrs. De Winter too. Um, so, I mean, did, instead of being in love with Barnett, she's in love with Angelique and she's, or she's very close with Angelique. It's, it's a really interesting uh, sort of mirror image of Dr. Julia Hoffman. It's fantastic. Great toward force. I mean, the, the way she plays that character uh, is just kind of chilling as Mrs. Danvers should be. There's she's intimidating and scary. And, uh, and it's it's great when our Julia, the Julia from the main time band shows up and dispatches the parallel time <laughs> Hoffman, which yep. just great, great stuff. Yeah. I also really love the scenes where Hoffman is taunting the Catherine Lee Scott Yes. Oh, yeah, it's great. Because and I think awful. Catherine Lee Scott <laughs> is also a really fantastic actress. Yes. And, oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. Watching her, um, I don't think uh, Parallel Time Maggie Collins was that great an opportunity for Catherine because Catherine really had, she could really play very subtle gradations, but they kept casting her as the victim. Mm-hmm. But I just love it. She says, uh, Hoffman says something like, oh, when, whenever you would go into Angelique's room, you would feel a warmth there. And then Catherine does get this zener where she says, thank you, Hoffman. You're the first person I've ever known to turn an apology into a testimonial. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. 
That's why, you know, like Dark Shadows, when it was on, it was the best thing you've ever seen because it was this great dialogue acted by these great actors. And I I personally, I find like where media entertainment is now really boring. It's like all about all this CGI and all these franchises. And um, that's why I tend to watch more stuff now that's older because that's what I, I mean, I like that kind of human... And I definitely like the gothic aesthetic. I'm like really big into the gothic aesthetic. Yeah. That, yes, that is why I had the screen name of gothic. Yeah. <laughs> of course, one of my naughty friends insisted on writing it as go thick. And yeah. Right. Really, my dear, must we degenerate into pornography? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when that was revealed to me, I was like, well, when I first saw your screen name, how it's spelled G-O-T-H-I-C-K, I said, wait a minute, is, this, is that what he's going for there? But well, I know you're a huge fan of, of gothic uh, horror, just the gothic genre uh, in in general. Um, and you don't see as much. Uh, I, I always feel that when they try to do a show that is quote unquote gothic, they go too far with like the gore stuff and everything yes. like, oh, we I have agree. to, we have to show lots of gore for it to be scary. And no, that just, uh, that, that totally kills it for me. It's all I about, agree. you can yeah. catch a glimpse of that, but it's all about the, the everything implied. just goes too far these days. You right. know, I'm just like, yeah. I don't need to see all the sex, man. I, I know yeah. what you're going to do. Just go do it. Close the door. Yeah. It's <laughs> like know? what happened to metaphor. I feel like I've become, I've become this, <laughs> Proved, you know, I'm all I just no, need to it's just that. there's no subtlety. It's where's the metaphor? Right. Where's where's what's right. implied? What's what's in the shadows? Yeah. It's we have to see everything. Um, right. but anyway, that's that's another topic for another time. Um, Steve, how about how about uh, do we have do we have more for Hoffman or are we ready to move to the next character? Well, um, I'll just say a few words about Aunt Julia Hoffman, who's probably the least discussed of all Grayson's characters on mm-hmm. Dark Shadows. Yes, yeah. But Aunt Julia, was in the last storyline, which many fans watch once and then that's mm-hmm. it, but there are some really great moments in it, but I think casting had become a problem. As you know, um, Leela Swift had become the producer at that point because Dan was working on other projects, among them the film of Night of Dark Shadows. Mm-hmm. And Sam Hall also had to uh, right. write the play single-handedly because Jonathan decided pretty much in December of 70, I think, that he was yeah. not going to be in the sequel picture, which then turned out not to be a sequel picture at all. It's like its own thing. So I feel like one of the weaknesses of Parallel Time 1841 is some of the casting that just, I didn't find the actress who played Josette as an older woman to be very effective. And I I like um, Keith Prentice as a person, but Mm. I just thought he really wasn't well cast or well used. Mm. I mean, I, I guess part of it was the directing, like the director would say, we need more from you key right. and didn't know what to do and shouldn't have been julia have been sarah oh interesting yeah i wonder why she's they... barnabas's sister yeah she should have been sarah um she's was... flora's sister. oh that's right she's flora's sister not not, yeah, not barnabas's yeah 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 because um, yes yeah. there's no sarah sarah perhaps i know there isn't i'm saying that 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 yeah. she's her maybe sarah was that would have been more interesting to me right i i hear you yeah. maybe yeah, there was sarah wasn't born in parallel yeah. 
time. Maybe there was no, she was never conceived in the parallel universe. Well, the family doesn't really match up in 1841, in parallel time, 1841 with our time. Yeah. Um, but so the, the good scenes for me in that storyline are the scenes between Grayson and John Carlin, another actor oh, yeah. who was incredibly strong and gifted and had this kind of edge to him that I think he was from Brooklyn or somewhere. He was from yeah. Red Hook, Brooklyn. Yep. yep. Yeah. And I mean, just that edge, you know, and. And that played well with an edge that Grayson had as a person, but that she seldom actually played on Dark Shadows. And just the back and forth between them around his courtship of Melanie. And I think the mm-hmm. Melanie seeds, because the Aunt Julia character, uh, that Melanie was Nancy Barrett's character in that storyline. And Grayson's character was pretty much kind of the surrogate mother because Flora, who's like her adopted mother, just doesn't really express much maternal stuff with her the way the storyline was written. But yeah, episode 1225, it's this kind of showdown between Julia and Kendrick, and they're both very strong. And it seems like she's trying really hard to talk him into getting the hell out of Collinwood. And then just as she reaches the climax, Melanie comes down the stairs in one of her fits going, you must all die. And it's just such a great (laughs) moment. And again, I love the theatricality of Dark Shadows. Yeah, Uh, it was was fun to see Grayson play a Collins. Uh, In in 1840, she was pretending to be a Collins, but here she actually is a Collins, which I agree, it doesn't really, it doesn't kind of make a whole lot of sense. Like Julia herself, our time bands, Julia sees the parallel time, Julia, and she's shocked to see that there's a parallel version of her. And it's like, how did, how did that happen? How does that work? Uh, But it's, it's interesting. Wait, I I went to medical school over here, but over there I became a housekeeper. Right. In 1841. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, I mean, you know, maybe it's one of Julia's, uh, parallel time ancestors of, of one of Hoffman's ancestors, you know, in, in parallel. Time. Oh, I meant 1971. Oh yeah. Got, yeah. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see her as a, not only as a Collins, but sort of the defender of the family's uh, honor and respectability and uh, right. you know, this whole secret lottery that they have. I thought that was an interesting part of 1841 parallel time. I liked the, the Shirley Jackson infusion into, into the storyline. And as we were talking, Steve and I were emailing back and forth a bit, you know, because uh, Violet Wells wrote some of those episodes as well. And she wrote some of the episodes before she officially came on to the show. So she was ghostwriting for Gordon yeah. Russell. Because as you mentioned, Sam Hall was working on Night of Dark Shadows. Gordon was carrying the load on, on 1841 parallel time on his own. So he brought in Violet to help out and maybe other writers too. I wonder, I'd love to know what went on behind the scenes there in terms of who was writing what. Oh yeah. I I wish we knew more about that as we were discussing in our emails. I wish we knew more about the production, the day-to-day production Mm -hmm. um, history, how the planning worked, you know, like when King Johnny comes back and is going to chop off Kampatofi's hand again, they had to find a scimitar. And it's a very nice prop. And I don't think they just had those things lying around. Now, maybe um, whoever was in charge of props had to go to some storehouse that ABC had, but sometimes they would go to some of the antique stores in New York Mm -hmm. to shop for props, but we just don't know details, you know, like in specific moments, what was going on or anything. Yeah. 
and be the whole uh, Rolodex of horror legend, you know, or the, the <laughs> I wish, I wish we knew what was in that and the writers meetings that they, the meetings they'd have with Dan Curtis, you know, what, what was discussed in those meetings, like what ideas were they bouncing around? And, you know, it would have been interesting to know a, a lot of that, but we'll, we'll surely we'll probably never know, but, um, but you never know things turn up all the time, you know, new information to, like uh, with the Jonathan Frid documentary, we saw some material with regard to, you know, Jonathan not wanting to do night of dark shadows and Dan Curtis, not reacting well to, to that situation and, and all of the, the fallout from that. So, um, Interesting stuff. Do you have anything else for Julia Collins, Steve? Um, before we uh, close, I just want to mention, because I would be remiss if I didn't, that for fans of Barnabas and Julia as a relationship, there are these two key episodes during the infamous 1995. Oh, sure. Yeah. Episode 1061, written by Joe Caldwell, where Julia speaks to Barnabas of getting used to living a life without love. And there's yeah. this close up on Grayson's eyes. And then she's just like, it's very quiet. She's very still. And it's just hard to watch because she just looks like she's in so much emotional pain. It's heartbreaking. It's and part of us is completely oblivious. Yes. As, you, <laughs> as usual. As the usual. Other people suffering. As usual. But, yes. but then it's all redeemed in episode 1070 where... Barnabas finds out that Julia's in the thrall of the horrible ghost of Gerard Stiles. Yeah. And she tells him, go to the parallel room, time room, leave me here. I, you know, I'm going to kill you. Don't, don't just get out of here. He's like, not without you. Never without mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. And for Barnabas, Julia fans, that's like the Holy Grail. Right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. He finally. He and he's her. hugging her and circling on her back while he's saying, yeah. you know, <laughs> yes, we've yeah. committed it to memory. <laughs> it's just an amazing scene. And then they kind of, I mean, the two of them are basically joined at the hip from there on out. But right. there are very few scenes like that. Sure. And I mean, there's like a scene in 1840 where Barnabas tells Angelique that she's very important to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they share this bond and it's it's and as the show goes on, I mean, this bond between the two of them becomes very clear. I never I don't do the shipping thing. Like I never really thought. But I don't think Barnabas will ever reciprocate what Julia feels for him. But I think he loves Julia. He cares about Julia, but Barnabas is, you know, he's a really damaged character. I mean, his interest fascinating, but he's, I, I always feel like he would end up hurting Julia, you know, and anybody who loves. Yeah, he might him. pretend to commit and then, oh, some other pretty thing would come. Yeah, possibly. And also there's the curse to consider right. as well. Like, anybody who right. loves you will die. I mean. Right. I don't know. I, I that some of that kind of flits across my mind too. Um, it's just it's 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 complicated and it's interesting. But I love that those scenes. It just it shows mm -hmm. Barnabas does love Julia, even if it isn't in the same way. We're he so glad Grayson was kind of bored with the character and decided um, I'm going to make this yeah, a little more interesting yeah, to play. And it's, yeah. and it's so heartbreaking he, when that yeah. when Steve described that. You know that scene. It's so heartbreaking to see that in her eyes. It's, it's great. It's really fantastic. Um, We didn't talk much about Constance. It, it was only one episode. As she Constance. didn't do much, right? She, she, will, it, she wore I a different that, dress, a different style of dress. No, no, I liked, there was some interesting stuff that was kind of, I mean, we didn't really get to know the character, but it was, right. it, even then, I love the I love scenes with her and Louie Edmonds. And when she he she is he is her brother 
And when she finds out that he killed Amanda and James Forsyth, the horror that comes across her face too is, is fantastic. She plays that scene really well uh, because she was devoted to her brother and believed in him. And, uh, and she found out he's a, a psycho. He's a killer. He murdered these innocent people. And as his mask falls away, she reacts in, in mm-hmm. horror. I thought that was, an, it was a good scene between them. But any scene with Grayson and, and Louis Edmonds, I think, is, is really good. I agree. I wish that um, the 1680 flashback had been done with two episodes because there's like an entire plot point, which was Brutus murdering James's sister. Sarah, oh, yes. That was yeah. completely just wiped out. And that yeah. had only been revealed a couple weeks before. And I don't know if it was a casting issue or they were running out of time or what it was, but I felt like the flashback needed more build up because the way and they had to really I mean they were actually editing you can tell when you watch it because I just watched it again last night and um, they, they had to cut because it had gone on so long but even so it's it's just very compressed Yes. Yeah, I agree. They should have spread that over like two or three episodes. I mean, I think that deserved some more time than it got. Um, I was talking to a guest in a previous episode, it was Don Glute. Oh, we were talking about 1680 parallel time and how did Colin would exist in parallel time in 1680? And how old does that make the old house in parallel time? I, I wish we had gotten a little bit more history they just kind of would throw these things out there and you figure it out they didn't have the internet or fans like today you see a lot of people writing a lot of the shows are fans you know yes like the the star trek stuff the uh star Mm -hmm. wars stuff they're actual fans so you know they have the coda and the bible in their heart yeah and back then the showrunners really didn't have a system for keeping track of all of this right of course they all thought it was just going to go away they didn't know we'd be sitting Mm -hmm. here 50 years later still yeah or they'd go out and ask the fans they'd ask the (laughs) fans outside the studio what happened go go ask the kids out on the 57th street and they they knew (laughs) third street but uh, it's uh, you mentioned Mark B. Perry at the top of the episode, Steve. He remarked that he has the benefit of hindsight. Like he can go yeah. back and look at those episodes and you pull things from those episodes and right. try to try to make sense of, of some of that or if, if it works for his story. So I, I hope that he manages to get that off the ground because I'm curious to see how that's going to going to play out. Yeah, I feel like it'll be a miracle if it happens, but miracles do happen. Well, we have so many of these streaming channels now. And if all these other shows can, you know, get a get a a slot on uh, Mm -hmm. on these streaming platforms, why not Dark Shadows? I mean, it still has such a big following uh and yes it's not at the level of something like star trek but i get these days, i but. get these rushes of for mm. grayson's fan book page uh on facebook there is a grayson hall fan page i'll get these rushes of you know one or two trickle in and then there will be 30 40 50 people you know signing yeah. up and, and answering you have to answer the question or i won't let you in the room <laughs> there's a question <laughs> you have to answer it um and and so it's it's just astonishing, you know, how many people just still keep finding it or remembering it, you know. Yeah, for sure. That's the most amazing thing to me, because honestly, you know, I still remember in 1969, I was was visiting some friends and I said, oh, gosh, I just love what's happening on Dark Shadows. And they were like, you still watch that? <laughs> and I mean, I had a little bit of it was like an early moment of like oh god people don't like my weird stuff (laughs) maybe they don't like me either and I just remember um in the night in the 90s or late 80s 
you know, as the videotapes had either not come out or were just coming out, I was just thinking, this is like a forgotten show. And then it came on sci-fi and suddenly it had a new audience. Mm -hmm. And that keeps happening. Like, I have a friend who's in her 20s who also has a Strange Paradise blog. And she's seen all of Dark Shadows and we talk about it. And it's like people do. It's like there are young people who were born long after the last episode aired. And mm -hmm. it's amazing to me because Dark Shadows is everything that supposedly doesn't work now in entertainment. Like it's it's slow. You, you know, it's a lot about character. It's about intricate storytelling that doesn't have that many twists to it. And it's mostly about characters that you start to care about, like they're members of your own family. But obviously, people want that. And <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. yeah. as usual, the suits just don't understand what it is that people really want. They look at, I don't know what bizarre Baroque stuff. Marvel, Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, multiverse, the multiverse Marvel. Multi hey, we, you know, we were we had parallel time before right. uh, Marvel was doing multiverse. So. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I guess they were doing that in the comics back. Well, I don't know what these probably I don't even know. I don't think they were doing that in the 60s in the comics. Well, Star Trek did it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. That's right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Which is a great episode. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Speaking of yeah, Star Trek, now they have the Strange New Worlds show talk, talking about, and that one is evocative of the of the original Star Trek. Right. At least I'm enjoying the, that. I'm watching that and yeah. I'm enjoying that. Discovery started out really well and then went really sideways okay. this season. That's all yeah, I, I, I don't have that one, the Paramount Plus channel, but I gotta, I gotta get on that at some point. Well, I want to thank the two of you. We didn't really get into the movies. We didn't get to, to Julia and House of Dark Shadows and, and Carlotta and Night of Dark Shadows, but that those were also great performances by Grayson Hall as well. An interesting yeah. take on Julia too, because she's the one who who decides to undermine the uh, the cure for Barnabas in that one, as opposed to the TV show. And, uh, and her in her role as Carlotta, that's Grayson getting to pick her own uh, wardrobe. <laughs> oh, really? Was, yeah, yeah. She <laughs> picked she picked those clothes versus oh, Doctor yeah. Hoffman clothes. Which no wonder she, those those outfits are so fabulous that uh, Carlotta's yeah. wearing. I love that. Right. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and it's rumored that the wig she wore uh, used to belong to Rita Hayworth too. Oh, so okay. it was her wig, but it rumored to have previously belonged to her. Interesting. So. Wow. She's uh she she's a, a bit like Hoffman. I felt in that in yeah. that movie. She has that right. the parallel time Hoffman. Um, but. Uh, closing uh, thoughts here. Do we have um, a website, graysonhall.net? Graysonhall.net. Uh, you can yeah. order the book there. You can see her screen, screen credits. There's a few things I discovered after the book's publication that I put there. Mm -hmm. And I did I did mention to you that I'd like to put a plea out to the fans. Yes. Um, I have never been able to find much about Grayson's first husband. His name was, his professional name was Ted Brooks. Um, there are a lot of Ted books in IMDb. He is not related to Connor Brooks, uh, who was an actor and did some cult stuff. But he ended up becoming, uh, the only clue I have about him is that he ended up in Michigan and when she was in a play there, um, one of her friends, uh, Cece Pulitzer said, Cecilia Pulitzer said, oh, aren't we going to call him? Aren't you going to go see him? And she's like, nah, he's like a forest ranger or something now. Oh, so okay. um, his, his name was Ted Breitbart or Ted Bradbart. Uh, maybe he was an alumna of Temple University. Steve, I don't know if you have a way to access the Temple University alumna, but I've just been trying to find out who he really was and her of course her husband and didn't know and her second husband sam so if friends people want to do help me with some research that would be great 
And if you want to know more to help help me look, just email me through the website. And if and uh, feel free if you send it my way, I will forward it to uh, RJ as well. If you if anybody out there has any information uh, about Thanks. that, yeah. Uh, and Steve, any any closing thoughts from you? Any place where uh, folks can see some of your writing? Um, well, I don't really have uh, that much of a dedicated web presence that relates to my fandom interests. But I'm I was thrilled to be on this uh, conversation. I've had a blast, and um, really just thrilled. Oh gosh, it's it's been my absolute pleasure to have the two of you uh, here with me, uh, and it's, I'm glad we we had the chance to do this. And I want to thank you both for taking the time to sit down with me to uh, celebrate Grayson Hall, who was, was such a beloved actress and characters that she played on Dark Shadows are so well loved by many fans. Uh, and I hope I hope to have this episode out on the anniversary of Julia's first appearance on Dark Shadows on June 30th. Fingers crossed, all goes as planned. But thank you so much to both of you. And folks, please do subscribe to the podcast. Keep on subscribing, rate and review the podcast just to it helps the podcast to reach more Dark Shadows fans. Uh, so that that does help the podcast a lot. So uh, give us a rating, give us a review. Uh, and thank you so much for listening. And for as long as they lived. Shadows never truly vanished, for there will always be terror.